Hey church, we wanted to let you know that this Faith and Politics series is not one of our regular Sunday sermon series that you hear on this feed, but it's from a midweek video series that Pastor Brandon is currently doing in the lead up to the election. So if that interests you, I'd encourage you to stick around. This episode is the introduction that Brandon gives as well as the entire first episode. And we'll be uploading future episodes to the feed as well. Hey, Austin Oaks Church family, Pastor Brandon here. Really excited to launch this four-week series on faith and politics. Also want to invite any of you who aren't even part of our church, even if you're not a believer in Jesus, would love to have you journey with us because I believe that as you discover what the gospel says, as it relates to the churches and believers' engagement within faith and politics, you're going to see a beautiful alternative. And I'm convinced you'll be compelled to want to lean in to discover who Jesus is. Now, before we get into the four-week session, I want to set the stage as to what you can expect. This is not going to be a five to 10 minute video that's a little bit of a devotional thing. My heartbeat would have been to do a four week class. And so there are gonna be um, four sessions that are gonna hover anywhere between 30 to 50 minutes. Just a forewarning, the first session is a little bit longer because I want to set the playing field for the other topics, okay? So the first week, which you're gonna see this week, we're gonna talk about what first things first should be. Like, what's the most important thing? What should be our perspective coming into the arena of politics as faith-based people? I want to talk about in the next couple of weeks, how do we engage in a two-party system? I want to talk about what a Christian position looks like in navigating the rhetoric that is surrounded with that phrase. Um, and I'm also hoping that by the fourth week, we'll have two people here who uh, follow Jesus, love Jesus, love the church, and are engaged in politics. I would love for them to come, and we would, three of us would have a dialogue as to what does it look like for the believer to be salt and light, interacting in the realm of politics today. Church, this is an important time for us. I believe how we behave, how we interact, and how we approach this will display the love of Jesus like never before. This is our opportunity to shine bright for Jesus. And this is an important sub subject to talk about because faith in politics, as you're going to see, is a discipleship issue. It's important. As we say here at Austin Oaks Church, our heartbeat is to be simply about Jesus, right? We want to help people meet Jesus, to know Jesus, and to follow Jesus. Following Jesus means we will engage at every level in the spheres of influence that God has placed us in, and that means politics. So I want to encourage you and invite you, join me for this four-week session as we navigate what faith in politics looks like. Hey, church family, Pastor Brandon here. I'm excited to begin to talk through what faith and politics looks like, and we're going to do a four-week series. And I also want to say, hey, welcome to you. If, if you're not even part of our church at Austin Oaks Church, but you just decided, hey, this looks interesting, I want to know um, what this church would say, or even what the community of faith would say as it looks at um, faith interacting, engaging with politics. And quite frankly, this is a an opportune time for the church to showcase the love of Christ, to show the world, to show Americans, our fellow citizens, our neighbors, that there's an alternative way to going about this election in a way that actually does promote unity and harmony and love and justice. And, and Jesus is the only answer. So I'm excited to bring this to you. And so what I want to do is just kind of set the table for you. Okay, so we're going to talk through four different sessions um, as it looks at faith in politics. So today, what I want to talk about are basically what I just call first things. Just setting the table, talking at a high level view as to how the church engages in politics, why the church should engage in politics, why we should vote, and how do we live out the gospel narrative when we live in America. So I want to talk about that. And then in the next few weeks, we're going to engage in some more difficult topics that might get a little dicey for some folks. I want to talk through, like, what is the Christian position on certain things and talk about the rhetoric that has been used as it relates to 
the Christian position, and this is the Christian candidate. I want to talk through those things and, and, and go, what does the Bible, how does the Bible speak into that? Okay, so we're going to go there. We're going to talk about the challenges of trying to, to live out in a two-party system when the reality is neither party upholds or espouses biblical values completely. So how do we navigate that? How do we honor Jesus in that? And so I want to go through these type of conversations. I'm hoping to have a few guests that are um, men of faith, people of faith, women of faith that are engaging in the political realm. I would love to bring them in just to share their hearts with you. I'm hoping to see if their schedules allow. We'll keep you posted on that. But um, before we jump into um, the topics this morning, I want to throw in a few caveats, okay? Because one, it's, it's important for us just to have good ground rules, okay? Because this conversation is so heated. It's so divisive. It is so full of venom. And honestly, it really shouldn't, especially for the believer. Okay. I know there's biblical principles on the line. That's absolutely true. But the way we engage shouldn't change how the Bible teaches us how to love God and how to love others. And so the church really should be a place where we can have, for lack of better words, a grace space where we can have these conversations where people with differing views, we can come together to dialogue, to process, to do life with each other, to come to a common line where we can pursue the greater good of all, to see human flourishing achieved, achieved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So saying that, some ground rules, I want you to know on the forefront, this is not my sneaky way of trying to convince you of who to vote for or to suggest which party is the right party to vote for. Um, not even to get close to that, okay? And, and, I, and that, that's important, okay? Because that's not the church's position. That would be abuse of my platform. It would be abuse of the rights that we've been given by our country, okay? So I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to ask you, too, to extend me a favor. Don't sit there and try to... Um, figure out and play a game and try to guess which person I'm going to vote for um, or to start to go, well, you know, this church is going to be that. So I'm out of here. And I just want to encourage you to be objective, to use scripture as your lens, because um, that's my heartbeat in this. I've been praying, dialoguing, reading, and my heartbeat is like, God, please may the words come out of my mouth. Rest on your scriptures, not out of my opinions. Okay. So I want you to know as well, there's probably going to be some words that I'll say, some trigger words or trigger faces, phrases that might ruffle your feathers and you might just tune out because our culture has defined certain phrases. Like, again, please don't like just just listen, just process with me. OK, and I want to let you know I'm not the smartest tool um, or the sharpest tool in the toolbox. And so I had to do a lot of conversation. I had to do a lot of reading and a lot of discussion. I'm very passionate about Jesus. I'm very passionate about the church, and I am very passionate about politics because, as you will hear today, politics is a tool that God uses to promote good and to fight evil and injustice. And we have an opportunity and a responsibility as a church to engage in this. Okay, so at the end of the day, why are we having these conversations? Why do we feel the need to come and do a little four week series on faith and politics politics because at the end of the day politics is ultimately a discipleship issue for the believer everything we do is to be walking the way of jesus everything we do how we see everything is filtered through the gospel now saying that it's important for you to know that i'm speaking directly from a Christian worldview. So I'm speaking directly to believers. If you don't believe in Jesus, if you would say you're not a Christian, I strongly invite you to listen. And I'm telling you, you're going to hear beautiful truths of scripture. You're going to see how God sees humanity. And I'm going to, I'm, I'm telling you, you will discover that the way of the kingdom of God is infinitely better than any other kingdom. So I'll, I'm speaking directly to believers, but this is open to anyone. And I want to encourage you, please listen in. Okay. The waters today on this topic are so toxic, so toxic. You can't, you can't really even have this conversation at a kitchen table. If you know, there's people on different political spectrums, it's just going to cause an argument. There's been families 
who don't even talk to each other over political parties. That is absolutely wrong. That is a travesty. It's a tragedy in my mind. People have forgotten the art of listening, of being compassionate. We have forgotten as believers a lot of times what James exhorts us, um, Jesus's brother, right? To be slow to speak, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to be angry, or let's just use cultural vernacular, slow to tweet, slow to post, slow to meme. You get, you get what I'm saying? And we lost what being um, civility, we lost what civility looks like. We, we've forgotten human decency. And there's a lot of factors that cause into that. But the ultimate factor we know from scripture is we live in a sinful and broken world where every single human is inherently evil, not inherently good. And that's why we have a savior, the gospel. These issues, these political issues have caused great divisions within the church. Great divisions in the church. And it really shouldn't happen at all. Because if we understand the gospel right, there's nothing, absolutely nothing, that could cause a division in the church. There's nothing that can rip apart the unity that Jesus has won for us. But however, it's our responsibility to maintain that unity. And I believe, in in my humble opinion, we have not done a good job in that area when it comes to political conversations. That's a travesty. My concern for the church, my concern for our church, and my concern for even myself is how are we being shaped to see this election? Whose voice are we listening to the most? The voice that we should be listening to as sons and daughters of Jesus, of God, our Father, should be His, right? But I think a lot of times we get our our information our worldview, our perspective from the talking heads, from news media outlets, from Twitter and from Facebook. I believe we are being shaped more by CNN and Fox News or whatever agency that you, you've attached yourself to. And we know that there's bias on all of those. We know there's political leanings in all of those. And we know that both CNN and Fox, ABC, NBC, whoever it is, doesn't uphold and espouse a full biblical worldview. But we allow those, we allow those stories and those spin stories to infiltrate and to inform how we see things. And that shouldn't be for the church. The church, this is a discipleship issue. And that's why it's important for the church to bring their voice to the table. It is our position as leaders of the church to start to teach people how to follow Jesus in any in every arena of life. And politics is a vital aspect of that. My concern is, is that we have greater disciples of Fox and CNN than we do of Jesus. That should not be. Faith and politics is a discipleship issue. Who shapes our perspective? Is it Jesus? Is it the Holy Spirit? Or is it the media? We have to wrestle with this. We need to see everything as a believer, everything as a church, through the lens of the gospel. Not through the lens of Fox and not through the lens of CNN, not through the lens uh, of CNN or Facebook or any other independent journalist, even though they do a good job and they, they hold their convictions and they're passionate about their things. And so are we. And listen, the Bible does not condemn strong convictions. It doesn't condemn that. The Bible speaks harshly against how we treat people. It speaks harshly when we withhold justice, when we withhold mercy, when we don't act in kindness and love. When we don't uphold biblical values and principles within our culture, the Bible speaks strongly into that. Church, listen, we have a responsibility to promote and to fight for justice. We have a responsibility and a a high call and privilege to love our neighbor as we love ourselves because Jesus loved us. And we have to wrestle with the question, well, who is my neighbor? We don't have the opportunity nor the freedom as believers. Listen, we don't have that freedom to decide who our neighbor is. We we just don't. If you follow Jesus and you, you live for him, and if he's your Lord and he's your king, then everybody's your neighbor. Everybody in your proximity is your neighbor, even the one across the street that has a different political sign in the front yard. They're your neighbor. You are to love them. You are to seek their good and their welfare. 
We are to seek the welfare of the nation and of the city. We are to promote human flourishing, so on and so forth, church. And that's why this is a discipleship issue. We are exhorted by Jesus to love our enemies, to pray for our enemies. In fact, I created a list. In just Romans 12 itself, we have this list of how we should live and engage. Just listen to this. Our love should be without hypocrisy. Believers, brothers, sisters, our love should be without hypocrisy. We should detest evil. We should cling to what is good. We should love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. We should take the lead in honoring one another. We shouldn't be lacking in zeal. We should be fervent in in the spirit. We should be serving the Lord. We should be rejoicing in hope. We should be patient in affliction, persistent in prayer, share with the saints in their needs. We should pursue hospitality, even with towards your enemies. We should be blessing those who persecute you, blessing those and not cursing them. We should rejoice with those who rejoice. We should weep with those who weep. We need to live in harmony with one another. We shouldn't be proud, but we should be associating with the humble. We shouldn't be wise by our own estimation and our own perspective. We shouldn't be repaying anyone evil for evil. We should be giving careful thought to what we do is honorable in everyone's eyes. <laughs> There's so much. I'm going to continue. As far as it depends upon you, you live at peace with everyone. Don't avenge yourself. Leave room for God's wrath and he will do it. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, you give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will heap fiery coals on your head. Do not be conquered by evil, by conquer evil with good. Those, my friends, are discipleship issues. That should be shaping how we see faith and politics. This is why I want to talk to you about first things. These are first things. What is our behavior? What is our posture coming to the table this election season? Church, the world around us, the culture around us will not live out these values. We can. We ought to. The Holy Spirit inside of you is prompting you to do just that. He can do no other. That's why I'm saying this is a great opportunity for us to live out exactly what Jesus is calling us to live out, to model the way he lived. Because when they see that, they're going to see the love of Christ. And that's going to start to provide hope and opportunities for people to turn from their sins and to move to Jesus and to be made alive. Now, as I continue in this, I want to talk to you very clearly that the church is a place, the church is a place that should display the uncommon unity we have in Jesus. Look at the 12 disciples that Jesus called. No way in no shape or form would this group of people ever voluntarily come together on their own, on their own choosing to do anything. You have a religious zealot, a far extreme right named Simon the Zealot, who would, you know, take up the sword. And then you got Matthew, the tax collector, who's oppressing the Jewish people, whom Simon the Zealot would be fighting against. And he's become bedfellows with the Roman emperor, which is now oppressing the Jewish people. And Jesus called this diverse group of people to learn how to follow him. And out of this diversity of differing differing opinions, and even probably guaranteed there's got to be arguments and hate and bitterness. They learned how to love one another through the gospel. And Jesus gave them the greatest mission in the world. You, you are going to be the apostles and you're going to build a church. That is our example. We must be different than the world in this season. Church, I'm going to read for you a few passages of scripture. Okay. Ephesians chapter four. I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, which is the gospel. Walk with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't envy, love doesn't boast, love isn't arrogant, love isn't rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. Love doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. Love rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. Love hopes in all things. Love endures all things. Love never ends. James 1, 
Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to be angry. We're exhorted to love our enemy, love your neighbor, go the extra mile, lay down your rights to fight for justice and how we love ultimately reveals Jesus. But what about Romans? Romans 15, verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Church, I'm speaking to us. I'm speaking to us, okay? Studies have shown that people these days are choosing their church based upon their political allegiance. That tells me that political allegiance is number one. Political allegiance is more important than the church. And they choose the church that's going to have their political leanings. That should never be the case. That is a deep and horrific tragedy because the church ought to be this place where differences can come together. We need to be holding harmony and pursuing unity together, even in the face of differences. We need to ask the question, what honors Jesus the most? I found a quote from John Wesley, and I, I just have to read this, okay? Here's what he said about an election period back in the day. He said, I met those outside of our society who had votes in the ensuing election, and I advised them three things. One, vote without fee or reward for the person they judged most worthy. Two, speak no evil of the person they voted against. Three, take care of their own personal spirit so that they were not sharpened or angered or bitter against those who voted on the other side. The church isn't to be a place where everybody agrees. That's not the ultimate call of the church. The church's only call is to seek and save that which is lost, to help people to meet know and follow Jesus, to teach them the things that Jesus taught. And the reality in the church is not everybody is in that reality. When people come into the church, they're not all at the same places in life, nor should we always come to the same agreement on every single issue. We are to be united. It's an uncommon unity where Jesus and the gospel is our top priority. Political differences should never divide the church of Jesus. Ever. The church isn't to be a place where everybody agrees, but it is to be a place, listen, where societal adversaries can find common unity in Jesus. Nothing should be able to separate the unity we have in Jesus Christ because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me talk to you about the church's platform. Why we do certain things as church, as institution, as a church, as an organization. And what is free game then for what I call the church organic, the move of God's people outside in every sector and sphere of life. So I want to make it very clear. If you email me and there's a lot of people who email me asking me why I don't support this or that candidate. Why don't I speak more up on certain candidates or um like political parties. Now, like some of you might be just simply thinking, well, that must just be the conservative Republicans are emailing Pastor Brandon as to to support the the Republican candidate and the Republican party. No, that's not the case. I get it from all parties. Every people, every every group, every party wants me to speak into it. And there's a lot of people who don't want me to speak into it at all, which is okay. So what is the church's platform in this? Is church institution? Where does our authority begin and end? And where, where does then the church organic, the move of people, begin to influence the world? I want to say this first and foremost. The world is not a democracy. Okay, We have to understand this because our filter is a gospel filter. The world is not a democracy. Our world is a monarchy. Amen? Right? Come on. Who's the king of kings? It's Jesus. Jesus will never, ever be up for election. He was never up for election, period. You'll never have to go through an election period to see if we want him on the throne, ever. He is the king of kings. And so we take our cues from him. And yes, as Americans, yeah, we have our Bill of Rights and it's God's common grace to humanity. Absolutely, not gonna deny that. But the reality is God has 
all the rights in the whole world. And we all are going to have to be held accountable to him. So that means when he gave the church to the world, that means the church as an institution and the church as a people have responsibilities to hold. So the church as an organization, as an institution, we have to show restraint when it comes to politics, specifically in the how, not necessarily the what, because there are biblical principles that we submit ourselves to because it's God's word and we believe in Jesus and we believe in his word because it came from Jesus, that those biblical principles are what? We, we stand on those. We, we advocate for those. We, we preach those. We, we stand, we fight for them, absolutely. But how those biblical principles are fleshed out in political arenas, that's where our authority ends. So here's a great example. Let's talk about um, abortion for a moment, okay? Because I know this one is a, is a big issue. There is no um, there is no debate from a scriptural point of view that abortion is evil. Abortion is wrong. Abortion is an aberration to the character of God. God is 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 for life, hundred percent, hundred percent. There, that's a biblical principle we, we stand on. That's a straight line, clear cut issue. And we will preach on that. We will talk about that without being embarrassed or even shame. However, where the line ends for us is how is the best way to go about eradicating the evil of abortion at all levels and influencing all layers of society in order to lower and eliminate abortion. It's and a lot of times, like here's a here's a shock, and a lot of people will be shocked to hear this, but it really shouldn't be a shock, but it is. There are pro-life people on both sides. Now that doesn't mean that necessarily the candidates up front are that. It's oftentimes how they define the how of going about that policy. Listen to me clearly. As a believer, we this is scripture. Scripture's clear. Abortion is wrong. It's evil. That's a biblical principle. We will stand on that. But where Christians have differentiated is how. How? What are the best policies and ways and means of going about eradicating that to support pro-life at all levels? So we will preach that. That's that's our um, privilege and, and stewardship as church leaders in the institution to preach principles and ethics, and those types of things. But our authority stops when it comes down to how we live certain things out. Like, how does that happen? Our commission as a church is ultimately to preach the gospel to all people. The moment we get into policy making and supporting a certain candidate is the moment we begin to lose people. Now, some of you might be like, well, that's okay. That's right, okay? I want to show you an example for a moment as to where Jesus even made a clear line as to where he stopped. He stands on a principle, but he doesn't get into the how. Luke 12, for instance, is a great um, example of this. Luke 12, verse 13. People in the crowd come to Jesus and they say, Teacher, my brother, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now we'll read that. We'll be like, well, that's not a big deal. That's not a societal justice issue. It, it really was then. It was a substantial societal issue then. And Jesus' response is actually kind of shocking. He said to them, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And then he proceeded to tell them, take care and be our guard against all covetousness for one's life doesn't consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus doesn't give his opinion on the how. He warns them about the idolatry of wealth in their hearts, 100%. Because Jesus' ultimate aim, his ultimate mission was to seek and save that which is lost. And if he were to give his policy opinion in that situation, he would have lost people. It is not to say that the issue, the ultimate issue is idolatry in the heart. And he addressed that. We stand in biblical principles, but our authority as leaders within a church, it's a fine line where we start to cross into the how, the best way of going about this. Okay, now that's the church 
as an institution, but as an organic church, you then complement the biblical values of what we teach. You begin to live out with wisdom and truth out into the workplaces, into the homes, into the business arenas of how the best implements. You begin to influence policies and governments that would uphold a biblical worldview, uphold God's heart and honor Jesus and those things, bringing his wisdom and peace and the spiritual discernment into those areas. We complement the church as an institution. Our ultimate aim, we've been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ to preach that and to make disciples, to stand on biblical truth and principles. But when it gets fleshed out into the public arena, there is a fine line and we got to be careful with an institution of not crossing that line, but you as the church organic, you take those biblical principles, you uphold that stewardship and you take God's wisdom, his peace, his righteousness and his name into those areas and you influence other sectors. That is important. So we need to make sure, like, listen, as a church, expect the church to be clear on straight line issues. For instance, Biblical straight line issues that are biblical principles that we won't be afraid to talk about that are rights, civil rights, 100%, pro-life, 100%, anti-discrimination, 100%, religious freedom protections, 100%. These things are very clear scripturally, but it's the hows, and we're going to talk about that in another day. As an organization, we preach righteousness. We preach justice, we preach compassion, we preach love, and we then encourage and equip you to complement those teachings, the ways of Jesus, as you go out into the world to see to apply these teachings in government, in business, in education. So, saying that, that's why it's important for you to vote. I know there's a lot of people out there who um, don't want to vote. Or maybe they're just too lazy to vote or they don't know what to do the vote. And maybe they're too cynical to even vote. But I need to talk to you, believer, brother, sister in Christ, that you have a stewardship or responsibility to vote. I 100% believe in that. Unless you actually have a deep, heartfelt conviction after prayer, counsel, reading, that you've come convinced that God is calling you to not vote. But that's not the majority of you. Okay, so I want to talk to us about why we should vote, because we are also the church organic people, assault and light, infiltrating subversively into this kingdom. We are bringing the kingdom of God into this kingdom, and we are exhorted to be kingdom influencers, to promote the agenda of the kingdom of God in every sector of life. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. We have responsibilities. We shouldn't be despising our small actions. I know a lot. I was even in a season where I, I, I despised the small action of voting and I was real cynical. And what's the point? But then I discovered, man, there's a stewardship. Faith and politics is a discipleship issue. If Jesus is our Lord, that means we're going to have his scriptures shape our worldview. And then our worldview ultimately informs us we have a, a biblical responsibility, a stewardship issue. To say that God is sovereign is not an excuse to be passive because that's a slippery slope. You can say that about almost everything. When we look at scriptures, what we see clearly is that God has um, designed and blessed three establishments that he gave the world, believer and unbeliever, as a common grace in order to resist the decay and the evil in society and to promote human flourishing. There's three institutions that he, he gave the world. The family, which is under attack. The church, which is under attack. And government. Like those are the three institutions. And those are three areas where we should have significant influence as believers. And when we look at scripture, the foundations for governance is an established institution for human flourishing. It, it's, it's, it's to promote good, to, to fight for justice. And God has enabled people, a believer and unbeliever, to administer justice, to punish evil, and to protect people from harm. Like, that's his purpose. If you look at um, Romans chapter 13, Romans chapter 13, starting with verse 1. 
Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. This is God's word to the church. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. In other words, God gave government. He gave authority. Yes, God puts people in positions of power. That doesn't mean God promotes every person he puts in the positions of power, but God puts them all. And no matter what happens, God is in control of who's in control. That's just the reality. And scripture says that therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. And you keep going on. It's like saying, it's like, hey, if you do good, you have no reason to fear the government. If you do bad, God established the government to enforce um, justice on crime, right? Like, and we are to pay our taxes. We are to submit to the governing authorities. We are to do all those types of things. And then we see it in First Timothy chapter 2. Paul, exhorting Timothy, says, First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So we have a stewardship as a believer to be praying for our leaders, for any leader, even if he's your adversary. It doesn't matter if you don't agree with this person or not. Trust me. The churches probably didn't have people in positions of authority that they were like, yes, he's the one. In fact, I'm going to talk to you about one that is a shock. Paul says, verse 3, this is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God to pray for them. Come November 4th, if we have a clear-cut president, the church's call is to pray for that leader. Seek the welfare of the nation and of the people. It's good and it's pleasing in the sight of God. Who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth? Why do we pray for our leaders? Why should we steward our responsibility in government, in politics? It's a gospel thing. I want you to see that. We pray for them that they may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. It's good and pleasing our Savior. Who? desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth, almost to suggest that the political arena could very much influence how the gospel is promoted. First Peter chapter 2, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover for evil, but living as servants of God. Now check this out. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. History tells us that the emperor at this time is um, the Roman emperor Nero. Hated Christians. Burnt them alive. Imagine hearing this from Peter. You have a responsibility, a stewardship to honor the emperor. By the design of God and government is there for the purpose of promoting good and restraining evil. And we have examples in scripture where the governments that are in power are evil. And we see people not not compromising biblical values in the face of it, but yet still being uh, respectful, honoring. Daniel is a great example. We need to be submissive with our ultimate allegiance to Jesus. So why vote? Immediately for the sake of justice. That's why we should vote. When we vote, we're bringing our voice to the table to shape policies, to shape who we want in office, who we believe will be promoting justice and good for all to promote human flourishing. We are commanded in scriptures to fight for justice. And voting is not a little small act. Voting is our way of governing as Americans. So when we vote, we are expressing and in a way we are fighting for justice for those whom God wants justice to happen for. And it's ultimately then a platform for the gospel. We are to do justice, seek the welfare of the city, pray for our enemies, honor the emperor, pray for them, love our neighbor. Folks, you don't have to worry about Who's in the position of power? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, they're going to have to be held accountable to Jesus Christ. Their position is a stewardship given by God. They only come into authority because of God. But yet somehow in God's mystery, we don't know why or how it all works. But we have been given a stewardship and a responsibility to 
act and get involved in these arenas. It's absolutely important. By God's grace, we've been able to live in this nation. We have a voice in our democracy. Therefore, we have a responsibility. We have a voice in who gets to lead and who doesn't. We have a voice in order to say how laws are created and how justice is going to be carried out. We live in a country that our constitution is of the people, by the people, and for the people. And we get the opportunity as believers to bring that voice to the table. I believe voting is a stewardship issue. It's a responsibility in order for you and I to enact justice. So as you process who you ought to vote for, I want to speak to you of first things. I want to make sure that you understand that the church has no position, no way to be divided. Politics should not be our top allegiance. Jesus is our top allegiance. The church as an institution, we preach and uphold anything and everything that scriptures teach us, but we don't go beyond that. And we encourage you to live out as the church organic in these areas to influence people, influence culture, to promote the agenda of the kingdom of God. That's why you should vote. But here's what I, how I want to end. And I promise you, the other videos aren't going to be this long. This is just way too important for us. It's going to frame the other talks. We need to understand that we are living out the gospel narrative, not the American story. We are living out the biblical story. That means gospel takes precedent over politics. Gospel takes precedent over politics. We are not the party of the elephant. We are not the party of the donkey. We are the party of the lion and the lamb. Jesus is the banner. He is the flag that is over us. Our allegiance and our heart is over him. And regardless of what happens in the election, regardless of what happens in America, regardless if we lose even some of our prized and gracious and blessed freedoms that we have, if we lose them, listen, no matter what happens around us, it cannot touch or change the benefits we have in Jesus Christ. The gospel truths apply worldwide and it's timeless. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can hinder the joy, nor the peace, nor the spiritual freedom we have. Our ultimate goal is not to live a life of comfort and luxury, swimming in our own rights and liberties. No, as a believer, our call and mission now that we've been rescued is to love God, love our neighbor, to be ambassadors of God, making his appeal on behalf of Jesus for people to be reconciled for him and to support and fight for justice and create environments for the good of all so that people can see Jesus. That is the mission. So no matter what happens in an election, our faith, our position, our platform, our posture as believers does not change because all of our allegiance and all of our hope is in Jesus. He is sovereign. He will never be up for re-election, period. He's never going to get on the debate stand because he has no reason to debate. As a church, we're not for Trump. We're not for Biden. We're not for any political party. As a church, we're for Jesus and we're for the kingdom. And so because of that, we take God's wisdom. We take his peace. We take his biblical principles and the discernment that he gives us through the Holy Spirit. And we decide and process which person, which party is going to espouse those biblical principles best. We're for Jesus. And we come to the table to decide, to pray, to go how, which one will promote justice, will push back evil, will protect the religious liberties, will stay on the straight line issues, all of those things. Political absolutism has to be rejected in the church. Our trust resides in Jesus alone. Our trust doesn't reside in the Republican Party. Our trust doesn't reside in the Democratic Party because Jesus alone has no weakness. He alone is pure. He alone is worthy. He alone is all wise and all powerful. And he alone can deliver, can save, can provide, can protect, and truly satisfy us. No party can do that. And the other reality is, is regardless of which way you vote, if you vote for Biden, if you vote for Trump, if you're Republican, if you're Democrat, Libertarian, whatever it is, you will eventually, ultimately be supporting a candidate or a party that may not and will not be aligning with every biblical foundation and principle that we have. That's why we can't be politically absolute. 
We are biblically absolute. We will never put, as believers, our complete trust in any political leader or party. Ever. Because they're sinful and they have weaknesses and they too have temptations and desires and tendencies to move towards idolatry. No candidate, no party has the monopoly on justice, period. Only Jesus in the kingdom of God has a monopoly on justice. In a world of competing leaders, Jesus is the only one that has complete and right and authority of kingship. No one else does. And his kingdom is radically different. In fact, I'm going to make the case that the Bible gives us absolutely no reason that Jesus would pick a side. It gives us no reason to believe that Jesus would side completely with this party or this party, this viewpoint over this viewpoint. Because when it comes to kingdoms and kings, Jesus sides with himself. Joshua 5, verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And this angel said, No, <laughs> I'm not for you, which is kind of a shock. Like, you're the people of God. I'm not for you. I'm not for them. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I've come. Jesus stands and sides with himself. And that's why Jesus was very clear. You render to Caesar what is Caesar's. You submit to authority. You pay your taxes. You do all of those things. But you give to God what is God's. What is God's? Can I just say your heart? Humanity was created in the image of God. Your heart, your allegiance, your complete trust and faith is God's. Yeah, you submit to the governing authorities. You, you give to Caesar what is Caesar's. You pay taxes and obey the law of the land and all that kind of stuff. Of course, there's exceptions if it goes against biblical value principles, etc. You know, But we are to give to God what is God's. And that's our heart. That's our allegiance. Our loyalty to King Jesus must always listen. It must always come before and it must always exceed our loyalty to an earthly agenda or an earthly political party. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean we don't have strong convictions or strong feelings in politics. It doesn't mean we prefer this party or that party. Of course it does, but it doesn't mean that the political party or the political agenda trumps Jesus. Maybe I shouldn't have said trumps. I'm not suggesting. It doesn't um, dictate or supersede Jesus's kingdom and values and our allegiance to him. Church, because of this, listen, please, please listen. Because of this, as a church, we should feel more at home with people who share our faith and our values, even if they don't share our political views. Because Jesus is what unites us. We should feel more at home with people of faith than even with, let me, I'm going to read what I wrote. We should feel at home with people who share our faith, but not our politics, even more than we do with people who share our politics and not our faith. That's Scott Sauls who wrote that. If this is not your experience, he would suggest that you're not ultimately rendering. You're, you're, you may be giving to Caesar what is God's. If you can't be at peace and united with other brothers and sisters, even if they disagree with you, Politically, you've given to Caesar what is God's. No leader besides Jesus is worthy of our hearts, worthy of our trust, worthy of our allegiance, and as our, of our hope. The nation of Israel asked for a king. They wanted a political leader that they could put their hope in, their trust in, their desires in, because they want to be like the rest of the world. And the reality is they rejected God and they got what they asked for. Psalm 146 verse 3 tells us to not put our trust in princes, in the Son of Man, in whom there is no salvation. If we put our hope and trust in a political party, ultimately, we will, here's the reality, we will ultimately begin to promote and defend whatever that party or whatever that candidate does, even if that means it's not biblical. 
We can't do that. We must fight political absolutism because we are gospel people and Jesus is our king. So we need to seek first the kingdom of God. No matter who you vote for, no matter which party you hitch, hitch your wagon to, they will not and cannot fully espouse every biblical value. That's just the reality. So we are to seek first the kingdom of God. Take the stewardship of voting. Discern, practice, be good stewards of salt and light. Vote biblically. Yes, we can disagree on the hows, but we need to espouse what Jesus is commanding and calling us to do. Our founding fathers recognized from the Bible that God gave to each of us rights, dignity, and certain freedoms. The chief of them is our religious freedom, the choice to worship Jesus or not worship Jesus. And these fundamental rights are they form the essence of who we are as men and women and created in the image of God, 100%. But as believers, we're also called to surrender our rights, die to our rights, even though our rights feel awfully American. But kingdom people follow Jesus, which means we need to deny self and take up the cross and do what's right. So what I want you to hear from me as I wrap up, our goal is faithfulness to Jesus as a unified church. Our goal is faithfulness to Jesus to pursue harmony as a unified church, even when we cast different ballots. Wherever the reign of Jesus is felt, the kingdom of God is celebrated, differences are embraced, and we move towards unity. So hear me clearly. When God's word speaks clearly and essentially about an issue, we believe it and we obey his word. Where we know the Christian position, we take that Christian position. Other issues that are less clear, specifically in how to work out those positions, the hows, there is freedom to disagree. The Bible doesn't condemn strong convictions or feelings. It actually honors them and encourages them. But not at the cost of hatred, spite, Bitterness, disunity, not at, the, not at the cost of those. We are to love and listen in every area of difference. We are to welcome others, one another. We are to love our neighbor. We are to fight for justice, pursuit, uh, pursue the greatest good, to promote human flourishing. What ultimately unites this church? I want to read for you a quote. There are certain issues on which every Christian should agree. But there is no political method for solving these issues upon which every Christian has to agree. However, there is a clear spiritual method for resolving these issues upon which every Christian should agree. And is putting your faith in Jesus.